Praise the Lord. Well, we're going to continue in our study of the book of Acts, and, and so if you've got a Bible, you can turn to chapter 8, but I'm here to tell you at the closing of chapter 7 of Acts, we found that a godly, young, vibrant, zealous follower of Jesus, Stephen, was viciously martyred because, all because, of his explanation of the gospel and how Jesus was moving in his life. He was executed by the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the day, the keepers, supposedly, of the faith, the guarders of the temple and of the law of God, but they were actually the resistors of the Holy Spirit and what God is trying to do, and they tried to stand in the way of it, and they murdered Stephen. Wow. That sparked and ignited a great persecution, just exploded on Jerusalem. A persecution against this young church that had been popular up to this point, but now they were going after it, and going after it fiercely to stamp it out, to put it down. Why would God allow his faithful followers to suffer like this so tremendously? Why would he allow Stephen to be put to death like that? While Stephen was actually doing his will and following his command. Why would God allow you his son and daughter, allow your kids even to suffer for their faith as you are obeying him. Why would God do that? I want you to pick your Bible up and let's read and continue. We're only reading eight verses in Acts chapter 8. Amen. Let's hear God's word following the martyrdom of Stephen. And it says this, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen, and they mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house, and he dragged off both men and women, and probably even children, and put them in prison, hoping to sentence them to death. Those who had been scattered, what did they do? They preached the word wherever they went. Philip, one of the other Hellenistic uh, Jewish leaders who had come to Christ, and he was, uh, had, he was serving with Stephen to, to be a food distributor for the widows in the church, right, that were being left out. Um, if we find out Philip is a great evangelist because he went down to a city in Samaria and he proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Great joy. Tremendous joy. Wow. Wow. What's going on there? What are we supposed to learn about persecution through this passage? What are we supposed to get about being a follower of Christ? What, what, are, we, what are some of the things we're supposed to get about how the church operates? Well, I'm going to kind of insert something here, and it's not really in my notes, and it's not um, on your outline. But there's something going on here behind the scenes. I want you to know, and I want you to catch it. There's a pattern that happens over and over in the book of Acts. Right? The very first part of the book of Acts, Jesus said... To his disciples, he says, I want you to go and wait. Go into Jerusalem and wait for the power, for the gift of the Father that will come upon you. And when you receive that power, you'll be my witnesses. But you've got to go and wait. And so they went and they prayed. 
And you see that all along, when you travel through the book of Acts, you've got disciples gathering and they're praying. They're seeking the Lord. They're waiting on power. They're looking for a revelation. They're looking for the touch of this risen Lord who is living. Okay? They're not content by just, okay, we got our mission. Thank you, Jesus. We're out of here and let's go get it. Let's get it done. No, they have a pattern. And as you read through the chapters up until this point, what you find out is every time they run into trouble or every time they have something before them that's a challenge to their faith, they confront it with prayer. They go to the Lord about it. They go to the Lord and they ask God, they say, Jesus, help us to speak boldly like we ought to speak. Because our humanness, you know, it's hard when you're facing the power of man or the power, spiritual powers that are out there, and, and we may not want to speak up. So help us, Lord, and give us that ability to speak. And then they're asking, Jesus, please reach forth your mighty hand to heal and to deliver and to show signs and wonders in the name of Jesus. Please do that. And they're seeking the Lord over those things. And you're finding out that there's, there, God is answering those prayers. God is answering those prayers. And they are doing it over and over again. At the end of the chapter 7, you have Stephen praying, Father, forgive them. Receive my spirit. Father, do not hold this sin against them. He was praying the same prayer that Jesus prayed at his death because he was continuing the ministry that Jesus started on earth. He was continuing that on earth. He was, he was walking in lockstep with the Lord Almighty who was present when he died. But he was doing it in prayer. He was doing it in prayer. I want you to know something. The actions that happen as we move on into chapter 8, are the result of prayer. Hearing from the Lord. They're not a result of fear. They're not a result of what the church is doing. The church isn't, or, or the, the culture or these persecutors aren't pushing the church around. They're giving the church some motivation, but the church is responding by going to the Lord in prayer and the acts of the church are happening as a result of prayer and, and the result of the Word of God in prayer. They're praying the prayer that Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 15, he says this, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And this is what he's been praying for in verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That's what I'm praying for. I'm asking that God would give it to you. Why would he pray for that if we don't need it? Because we do need the spirit of wisdom and revelation. We need the Holy Spirit to speak a word to us. We need him to guide us. We need him to give us a vision or a dream or speak through another person. God can speak any way he wants, but we need the Spirit to be present, giving us wisdom and revelation. Do you know that this morning? 
Amen. The church doesn't stay alive without that. Your faith doesn't stay alive without that. I wouldn't be walking with Jesus today without that. We must have that. And Paul knew that, and that's what those folks were praying for. They, they certainly were praying for that, I tell you. And it says he, we're supposed to get this spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can know him better. It's about knowing him and knowing he's with us in our situations. So we're not afraid. And then he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. There's a hope we've been called to. You have eternal life. You're never going to die. You don't have to fear death. You're alive now forever. Do you know that? I'm here to tell you, you may not know that if God hasn't spoken that to you recently. We forget things. We fall out of that. Faith kind of leaks out. So we need to hear that over and over again. We have a living hope, Peter says. A living hope. It stays alive and it's constant. And then it goes on, the hope to which we've been called to in the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. We have the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. We have the Holy Spirit of God himself in us if we're believers. It tells us we have heaven and every other blessing that's been promised will come in full someday. Praise the Lord. Does that lift you? Does that give you power? And then Paul prays, and his incomparably, this is what I'm praying for that you'll know, his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and he seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realm. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked. Jesus has been given all authority. You're praying to the one with all authority. I'm praying to the one with all authority. See, I got in that scripture and I get lost in it. So I'm sorry, I kind of checked out from you for a moment. Because I was listening to the Lord, and I was so full of that, and I was like, oh my gosh, hold it, I'm preaching, I'm here with you. <laughs> I am. Because it's so good, that power. And we need to know that power. That power doesn't always come in miracles of healing, or in miracles of lame legs being restored, or being lengthened, or those kinds of things, and that stuff does happen. Or impure pure spirits being cast out in the name of Jesus. That power sometimes comes as just the word you need at, at the right time. I heard a testimony this, year, this last week from someone who said, uh, I was ready to go and die. They were sick, they were done. They'd been walking with the Lord, but they weren't really walking with him. And then they just said, okay, Jesus, take me. I'm done. I want to die. I'm out of here. I'm done. And they heard a voice say, uh, you'll die when I say you'll die. You're done when I say you're done. And you know, he, this man said, he goes, for so many years of my life, I thought it was worthless. I thought I meant nothing. When I heard that voice, I went, who, who just said, I asked the nurse, did you just say something to me? And she said, no. Because is there anybody else in this room? And they said, no. And he realized that God was speaking to him. And he said, for the first time in his life, he felt like he was somebody. I have worth. The God of the universe took time to say something to me. And he goes, it changed everything. It changed how I felt about myself. It changed my life. And he's now in our Bible study with us. Isn't that cool? 
One sentence. And it changed 40-some years. One sentence. See, that's the power that we have in the name of Jesus. So I'm here to tell you that was happening. That was happening. So when you go back to Acts 8, and I know you're, you're probably wondering, well, Kelly's really getting off here today. You go back to Acts 8, when this great persecution, it says that all the believers were scattered except for the apostles. The apostles knew that they were the anchor of the church in that city. They were like captains of a ship. We're going to sell this puppy. And we're going to sell it whether it stays afloat or not. And wherever it goes, we're staying put because we're the foundation of it. They weren't going anywhere. You're going to have to kill them there. But they're doing that in faith. It takes faith to stay when you have persecution, right? It takes faith to stay. And then it says that there were godly men who buried Stephen and they mourned deeply for him. You know, it was against the law to do that. Stephen had been condemned. He had been sentenced and condemned in stone, and it was against the law to mourn and bury him officially. And what did these godly men do? They did it anyhow. Because they respected him and honored him. So see, there's faith there. And it took great faith to do that. And then the others were scattered. And I'm here to tell you, they didn't run like little cockroaches that you, you flick on the light in your kitchen and they run and hide. It's not like I know that. I don't have those in our home, right? I'm sorry, dear. I had to point that out. We don't have those in our home. But they don't run like that. They don't scatter. They didn't do that. They did it because the Lord was leading them to scatter. Because what you find out is they begin to preach the word. And the, and the kingdom began to grow and to move as it was supposed to. So they had been praying, and I just want you to see that. These were praying folks. This is how they lived their lives. They lived their lives based on the revelation they received from the Lord, the wisdom they received from him. They came to him honestly and openly. They fellowshiped with him by pouring out their heart daily and weekly, and that's how they walked with him. And that's how we're to walk with him. But let's go to persecution now. I don't know if I can finish this whole message, but I'll, I'll kind of con contract it a bit just to make it work. Persecution is a strong word, isn't it? So you better be praying if you want to act the way God wants you to and you want to be triumphant over it. But let's talk about the definition of this word. It's defined, we have it up on the screen behind me, it's defined as intense and persistent hostility, harassment, and ill treatment that can range from visit vicious verbal attacks, mental, emotional attacks, to violent physical attacks or torture, to imprisonment and even death. Just wanted to put that out there. It's kind of an exhaustive definition because we sometimes don't have a clear picture of words when we're talking about them. Persecution, the next slide says, is an attempt to stop, destroy, snuff out an idea or a thing that we're against, or a movement, or a person that we're against. We're trying to squash something. We're trying to end it. We're trying to destroy it if we're persecuting it. So the persecution the disciples have faced so far that we've seen has, not, has been light compared to what is going to happen now and what is happening now and happened with Stephen. They were subject to interrogations. 
How many of you have ever been interrogated because of your faith for Jesus? By friends or family or the world? Well, if you haven't, boy, you need to experience that. It's good for you. It's good for you to have to give a defense for your faith. Man, but it'll come. How many of you have ever been threatened because you know Jesus? I tell you, you better shut up and keep your mouth shut or else. Nobody been threatened? See, we live in a tolerant uh, culture. So this tolerant culture just kind of wants to kill everybody with kindness, right? And, and yet, even though it's, it's, it's more subvert and more mental and emotional, the persecution we face. But it may not be that way all the time. Things seem to be changing. Um, so they faced that. They faced overnight jailing. I'm sure none of us have been jailed to keep us to be shut up with our faith, right? And they tried to shut them up. They tried to stop them. Those things are annoyingly hostile. They are. They're harassment. They're ill treatment. But there's something a believer of faith could endure, right? Even though we haven't even maybe felt that much of that. But that's what they were feeling, and that's what persecution is. We know that persecution is motivated by a number of things. Why do people persecute other people? Out of fear. Think about it. Out of anger, which is a derivative of fear. Out of bitterness. You're bitter because something happened. I remember going door to door, I want to share my faith, and we had a person go, hey, we want to pray for you, we just want to share what Jesus has done in our life. Bam! The door got shut. I would suspect that person was bitter. <laughs> that was bitter. How about hatred? Arrogance, pride. Uh, wanting obsessive control. There, there are people that have suffered persecution like that because they've come to faith, but then their spouse or other family members didn't like it, and so they began to kind of hold them hostage and make things hard on them. Some of you maybe have experienced that. Maybe some of you have watched that happen. It happens. Jealousy, slavery to sin, causes persecution. Spiritual oppression causes persecution. We had, a, we had uh, people praying against us as believers and against our church when we were in college, throwing dead animals that were halved on our uh, property and such, trying to discourage us, trying to oppress us. Maybe sometimes it's bondage to evil. So those are things that can motivate persecution. But I want you to make no mistake here. God is not unleashing persecution upon his church. God does not do that. It's not him who's behind it. See, the person behind or the people behind persecution are the evil one, the world, and the sinful nature. Those are all instigators of persecution we face. The evil one, our world, and the flesh. Those, the sinful nature of man, that's, those things are the, the power behind persecution. So the Lord never motivates it, but he can sure use these persecutions, and he can use them even though they don't know they're being used by him. And he can use them to, to move us, to influence us, to do his will, and to bring glory to him. God can use these things. I'm here to tell you that persecution can highlight your credibility when you stand up against it. I was tested, maybe you've been tested by family members who don't know Christ, and when you come, they want to know if you're for real, so they test you. 
right? They test you. And, um, and it can be difficult. But your credibility can show through, right, if you are for real. Persecution can so showcase also, like nothing other else can showcase, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. When you show love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control in the midst of situations that where a person shouldn't be able to do that, people take notice. And they're like, what? That's why the love of, of Christians really caught the attention of people in this first century. Because they didn't know much about grace or about love that would be, where you'd love somebody that that sacrificially, and it caught their attention. Amen. So it showcases the fruit of the Spirit, it highlights our credibility, but it also shows that Jesus is real, that he lives in us. So skeptics and hard people, they can see it if they see him as real in you, because they're looking for it, and they're watching you. So if you find yourself being persecuted... If you find yourself being pushed by the pressures of persecution, then you need to ask God for strength and wisdom to help you do the right thing in that persecution. Right? You need to not try to overcome the power of man with the power of man, but with the power of the Holy Spirit. And these believers understood that. I'm going to overcome it not by my own power, not by my own religiosity or goodness, but by the power of the Spirit himself. And so they ask God, show us how to do the right thing. What do you want us to do? You also ask God for strength to be his witness by telling others what he's done for you and what he's done for all mankind. And so they were asking God, show us how to do that. And the Lord was telling some, you stay put and you do it here. He was telling others, Man, you go out to the far reaches of the world, into Judea and Samaria, and you tell them there. Because they need to know. And this persecution has given you opportunity and motivation to do that. We need to ask to be a light, like John said, an example of the truth and of the light of Jesus. And we need to do that by overcoming evil with good rather than being overcome by evil. And then doing more evil. We need to bear these fruit of the Spirit. We need to show the power of God's kingdom in the name of Jesus. We need to be about living our faith. And that's what they were about. So do you see, persecution will not ever destroy the church. Somebody say amen to that. It won't. Because the church is here and it's for real and it's the body of Christ. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given him. It will not be destroyed. Not ever, not ever, not ever. There's nothing man can do to us. There's nothing. They cannot keep, man cannot keep us from God's best for us. They may take our lives, they may take our businesses, but they'll never take our hearts. They'll never take our eternal life. They'll never take God's will for us. We'll glorify Him in the midst of those things. And God will be glorified. And we'll have the last word in the name of Jesus. We will. So nothing can destroy the church. It can't destroy you or your witness. It cannot destroy it if you truly are seeking to do God's will and seeking after that, that spirit of revelation and wisdom in prayer and seeking for that power in prayer. 
But guess what will destroy the church and will destroy you? Resisting the Holy Spirit. That will destroy you. <laughs> Grieving the Holy Spirit because you say no to him. That will stop you. See, nothing else will. But you being yielded to the Spirit, seeking the Holy Spirit, seeking His truth and His power, you'll never be destroyed. You'll never be destroyed, not ever. So God's plan for you and me in persecution is to take us deeper, deeper in our friendship with Him and to make us a partner in suffering with Him. Do you know the fellowship of His suffering? What a great fellowship. When Jesus trusts you so much, he grabs you and says, look, walk with me. Know me at this level. That's why he was standing when Stephen, when Stephen told him, he goes, look, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. You know why? Because he was standing in honor of Stephen. Because Stephen was going to give his life, and he was doing it in faith and in obedience to the Lord, and Jesus was going, yeah, that's my, that's my son, that's my brother. And he was standing at the right hand of God. Do you want to know that fellowship? That's his plan for you, to know his fellowship, if you are in persecution. <clears throat> it's to develop and increase the fruit of the Spirit in your life. It's to cause that fruit to shine. Cause it to bless others. Man, you need a hard freeze sometimes to get good fruit, don't you? You need some harshness to get some beauty in the leaves and in the plants. We need that too sometimes. And it'll bring out our best. And if you have a living relationship with Jesus, persecution can't stop your witness. It can't snuff it out. There's no way. The light that's in you, the darkness cannot overcome. Because how has darkness ever overcome light? And John 1, 1 John 4, 4, 4 says this, Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. So, you're not going to be snuffed out. His plan, God's plan through you, is to soften the hearts of hard people. He wants to soften their hard heart, and he wants to do it through your perseverant suffering. He wants to open and deliver the hearts of conflicted people through your discernment and your wisdom, your peace, and your confident wholeness that he's working in your life. He wants to heal bodies and, and hearts of wounded and unhealthy people through the grace and power that are in the name of Jesus. And he wants to do it through you. He wants to win and to save the hearts of open people. Because there are open people that are out there. And he wants to do that through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he wants to do it through you calling those people to put their trust in Jesus. And then to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit as Lord in their life and in their heart. That's what he wants to do through you. And he's going to do this. Oftentimes, he'll use persecution to move you that direction. So we see from our passage and our discussion so far that God uses persecution to help people, to help his church become an effective tool for evangelism. That's what he does. And maybe sometimes that's why we're not as zealous for evangelism. Because we haven't been pushed anywhere. And the clarity has not come. But there are some other elements that are necessary for a church. Other elements that were necessary for this church in Acts 8 to share the gospel and to grow God's kingdom in their world. 
And I just want to run through those things. I'm going to do that fairly quickly because of time. Some of these perspectives, uh, I was influenced by pastor and author Peter Mead. Um, and so some of these things, but they've got some of my take on it too. So there's a little bit of him and a little more of me in it. So praise the Lord. Let's look at these elements that are necessary. Not only do we need persecution at times, but we need these things as well. And I've touched on them. Acts 8.1 said this again. Remember back to Acts 8.1. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered through Judea and Samaria. You remember if you've read that Jesus told the disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Guess what? They had done that. They were definitely his witnesses in Jerusalem. The church was growing, leaps and bounds. A lot of people were coming to Christ. But then he goes out, you'll be my witnesses in all Judea and Samaria. Well, they hadn't done that yet. They weren't really doing that yet. And then it ends, he says, that you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Well, that was still to come. But it was now time for phase two to begin. So now in verse four of chapter eight, it says that those who had been scattered, they preached the word wherever they went. And as you continued on in verse 5 through verse 8, you see that even Philip, he had a full-blown public ministry going. Preaching Christ, demonstrating the power in Jesus' name, delivering people from impure spirits and healing people that were diseased and, and paralyzed. I want to ask you a question, because this happened. Why did they do that when their lives were at stake? That's what 21st century American Christians might ask. Why are you doing that when your life is at stake? Why aren't you keeping quiet? Why aren't you hiding out? Why aren't you secretly moving about? Why are you ministering to one another? Why aren't you ministering to one another and others behind closed doors? Why are you out there? Come on, don't you know that the person who sticks their head up above the crowd gets hit? Come on, what are you doing? And it's easy. You know, they're doing it for a reason, right? We've already stated. They prayed, they're obedient to the Lord, they're on fire because Jesus has given them new revelation and he's changed their lives and, and they've they got to share it with other people. See, it would be easy for me to stand as a preacher and encourage or even pressure you to share your faith with others. We've done that. I've done that before. I'm sure of it. Talk to you about, you need to be out there sharing your faith, sharing the gospel with people, right? But what good does that really do when I simply just exhort you to go do that? You know, and I know the answer to that. Is that really the motivation you need to share? And no, it's not. And very little often happens. The fact is, you and I, guess what we do? We talk about what we are excited about, don't we? That's a no-brainer. If you're excited about it, you're going to talk about it. We talk about what we're enjoying. Man, if we enjoy a good meal somewhere, a restaurant, we tell all of our friends. Come on. You know, you just do immediately. If you're enjoying some kind of sport or some activity, you talk about it. We talk about what grips us. We talk about what matters to us. See, if we don't know for ourselves why the good news is so good, 
we're not going to talk about it. If we're not enjoying God and his work in our lives, what do we really have to share? And that should be, that should tell us right away. Hold on a second. I'm not really enjoying God. I'm not enjoying his work. I, I'm not blessed by the gospel. I have forgotten. Or, or I'm out of it. Because you talk about what you're excited about. You talk about what you're enjoying. You talk about what matters to you. See, these disciples who were scattered, they didn't preach the word and minister the power in Jesus' name because they were obligated or supposed to as Christians. They didn't do that. They didn't show up to church because that's just what you do. It's my routine. They didn't stand in worship because, well, you know, the church is standing, so I'm going to stand, you know. Or I'm going to sing just because we're going to sing, because that's what we do. No. <laughs> no. No, they didn't do that. They didn't do it because they were supposed to. Rather, it was the goodness of the good news. It was the love of God that was inflamed within their heart that moved and motivated them. They couldn't help but share it. Are you experiencing that? Are you enjoying that? One Bible commentator stated this. There's two different words, he goes, in the ancient Greek language for the idea of scattered. And it's kind of interesting when you read our passage. One has the idea of scattering and a sense of making something disappear. So at first, when you read this passage, you think they're just trying to disappear. They scatter, you know, because they don't want to be hit or, or taken out or killed or, or corralled or whatever. He says it's, it's like Scattering something like scattering someone's ashes to cause them to disappear. But he said the other word is the idea of scattering in the sense of, sense of planting and sowing seeds. And what's great is this commentator says that's the ancient word that's used in our passage. They were planted. They were scattered like we do in the fall on our lawn to get new seed to grow. They were planted. They weren't going because they were afraid or scared. They weren't going because they thought that was the best thing to do to survive. They were going because God led them to go. When we accept Jesus' forgiveness for our sins, when we receive him as Lord and Savior in our lives, and we ask the Holy Spirit to come within us and fill us with his love and his presence, and with his power, and to make us a new creation as a son and daughter of God and as a citizen of heaven, when we do that, we're now living a new, new life of salvation. We can now come boldly to God's throne to find help in our time of need. We can now walk in the blessings of the kingdom, which God's word said is this, for, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. <coughs> Do you enjoy the Holy Spirit? Do you enjoy the gospel? Because it says anyone who serves Christ in this way Romans 14, 17 through 18 says, is pleasing to God. And they receive human approval. So humans are even pleased by them. And they're pleased because they see you enjoying God. Enjoying your faith. Enjoying the gospel. And excited about it. And you're sharing that. So these believers who were scattered, they were enjoying God. They were excited about the good news of the gospel. They were excited about the ministry of love and the power of the Spirit, and this joy and enjoyment 
was the motivation that made them effective evangelists. Man, they couldn't help but tell people about Jesus in the next. So I'm here to tell you, I understand this. You and I are not going to talk about anything we're not enjoying. We're not going to talk about anything we're not excited about. We need a spirit of revelation, wisdom and revelation to know Jesus better if we don't enjoy him this morning. Amen? Amen? we got to pray that for each other. God, help us to come to church fired up, excited to come through those doors, excited to, to greet each other and pray for each other, excited. I don't come to church because I have to or because I'm paid to be a pastor. I'm coming because I'm a servant of God, I'm a son of God, and I'm walking with Him. And I believe it's the answer for a hurting world. We are the kingdom of God. We've got to be excited about it. We've got to enjoy it. We have to enjoy it. Because who wants a faith that's... Nobody wants that. All right. You want me to just give you the next two points real quick? Because I love you? See, I'm so excited about you and about this word that I'm willing to do that. You ready? Here's the second one. And I'm just going to... And you're going to have to figure these out on your own. You know this, not only do we have to believe and enjoy the gospel and enjoy God, but we can be highly motivated with that, right? We could really enjoy God and really enjoy the gospel. But we need to connect with people outside the church. We gotta, we gotta connect with people in our neighborhood. We gotta connect with people at work. We've gotta let the Lord connect us with people outside of this church. Because God loves to do that. That was the example of Jesus. He came into our neighborhood. He planted himself in the middle. He hung out with us. He reached us. He spent time with us. I want to call you church to that. I want to call myself to that. Let's keep doing that. Number three then. Believers need to be able to communicate the gospel and do it when we have the opportunity. See, if we're enjoying the gospel, if we're excited about it, if we're connecting with other people, now we can share the gospel. We can share the good news. We can do it. But some of us don't feel confident we know what the good news is. I'm here to tell you something. You do know how God's worked in your life, if you're excited about it. So your testimony is something you could easily write. Your testimony is pretty much this. You ready? It's what you were like before you believed in Jesus, how you put your trust in him, that's two, and then three, what difference did it make? How did your life change after? So it's before, how did you do it, and then what was the effect after? You can tell your testimony within three to five minutes, based, and you can tell parts of it. People need to hear it. It's underestimated. And you can use it as a framework for telling the gospel. How many verses do you think somebody wants to hear? If you, if you come to people like me or Grant or others in the, you know, John Peterson, I know, man, you know, we want to talk about big, long things. <laughs> but most people, all they want to do is hear a verse. If you plug John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believe in him should not perish, but of everlasting life, then you can add 17 to it too. If you did that, or if you did Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know you can tell the gospel through those verses by simply talking them through. You can tell the good news of Jesus to people. And we need to become proficient at that or comfortable with that. You know, sometimes you don't even have to worry about that because God's going to speak to you from your own Bible reading and your own time of prayer. Oh, I am so stoked over what we're doing in Ephesians uh, chapter 1. I love it. I love the first part of it when it talks about God's big story and telling people, you know, God's got a big story in this universe. And he does. But guess what? You've got a little story. And you know that God wants you to know his big story, and he wants to know how your little story fits into his big story. And you want to know that, too, if you want to know the purpose for life, and you want to be ready to meet your maker. I love that. And I love to be able to talk about that with people. I get excited about that. Because I think everybody's, a lot of people are looking for meaning and looking for purpose and looking to understand this life in its bigger context and how they fit into it, and they don't, they don't get it. They don't get it. So we need to communicate the gospel when we have opportunity. Not shy away, but I'm telling you, if you're excited, and if you're connecting, you're going to do that. That's just a foregone conclusion. It's going to happen, because the light, like John says, doesn't want to stay put. It wants to get out there and shine, and we're called to shine. I know I've kind of ran through these, these last parts pretty quick, so I'm going to conclude with this. Persecution could not stop the church. It couldn't stop the followers of Christ. It just served to scatter them like super seed onto the ground so that they would grow everywhere. Just like when you cast your seed into your planting beds and have to pick it out later, so this stuff's going everywhere and it's going to grow. The stomp of persecution was hard, but I'm here to tell you, it's like stomping on a fire and watching that fire billow up and all these embers run and start a new fire. You ever done that? Okay, if you haven't, you haven't lived. When you pour gasoline on things and you do certain stuff like that as a kid, let's just say you can burn a lot more than what you're trying to burn. And, and so, bam, but that's what happens when persecution does that to us. We have the fire in our lives. We have the fire of the gospel. We have the light. It wants to move. And it will move. It will move. It will send embers everywhere. And what the evil one has meant for evil, what the world has meant for evil, what other people of the flesh have meant for evil, it's going to bring great joy as lost people. And it did as they came to salvation, as they heard the message of Jesus, as they were delivered from impure spirits, as they received miracle healings, it says in the very last verse of our passage that it was great joy. Great joy! That's how I felt the first week after I was saved. I smiled the whole time. What about you? And if you haven't, you need to. Joy is the gift of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Come on, it's a wonderful thing. And they felt joy. We need to feel joy. God, give me joy again. Give us all joy again. Because God blessed them and healed them and did great things. So let's be, let's be that church. We're going to be stronger. We're going to be blessed. Um, this is kind of the strategy. 
And it's going to equip us, but it's going to equip us as we learn to enjoy God and we learn to connect with people and we learn to take our opportunities to share our faith. Guess what? Persecution will come back around. But we'll be stronger and more equipped. And we'll be a blessing. I want to leave you with this. Paul Powell writes this, and I have it up on the board. The church is like a nail. The harder you hit it, the deeper you drive it into the hearts of men and the soul of society. Is that true of you and me? The harder you hit, the deeper we drive into the heart of men and the soul of society. And I would also say into the heart of God. Let's get there. Amen. I want you to stand with me and let's close in prayer. Thank you for giving me a few more minutes. Praise the Lord. Hey, I want to remind you before we go to the Lord in prayer, we want to also, could you raise your hand if you're part of the fellowship team or communication team? Raise your hand real tall. Fellowship team, communication team. You got one here, one over there, one there. They, like, they don't like to lift their hands. One back there. Lay your hands on those people that are on the communication and fellowship teams. And we know there are more, and if you know them, then go ahead and do that, and we're going to pray for them. But I also want to invite you to join us right after this service for the sprinkle that we're going to have for Jeremy and Lacey. And then I also want to encourage you and invite you to our work day next Saturday, 9 to noon. So uh, let's pray for these folks, and let's pray for ourselves as a church. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we're so grateful and thankful uh, for your word. It constantly is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We are so blessed by it. Thank you for the example of these believers. Thank you for the example your Holy Spirit has left before us. Thank you that they were praying people. Thank you that you gave them wisdom and a revelation so they could know you better. And man, did they know you and enjoy you. Thank you, God, that you enlightened the eyes of their heart so that they would know the hope to which they've been called to and their glorious riches that you have for them in their inheritance and for all saints. God, may that be for us as well. And thank you, Lord, that you gave them a gift of power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. We seek you for that power in our own lives and that ability to be able to use it to your glory, to bless others, to heal, to deliver, to bless in the name of Jesus. We don't want it for ourselves. We want to give it away. And so we thank you for that. God, help us not to fight the power of persecution or man with our own power but with the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. And help us to shine for you, Lord, to your glory, that others would see and, and be touched by us, and there would be great joy. We want great joy to go forward, God. So lead us into great joy. Lord, we need you to do it, because only you can do it. So do it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And Lord, we want to also say, Father, we are so blessed by these servants who have given of themselves to lead us in fellowship, and to help us receive messages from the church and, and to enjoy the communication and the look of things, and just to get the work done that needs to be done. Thank you for them. Pour out your grace and blessing upon them for their generous service. We ask this in Jesus' name, and we all said together, amen.